it's always a, a lot of fun and, and exciting to be a part of something at the very beginning. And so since we're just getting kicked off, uh, man, you came at a perfect time to get connected to our church. And then uh, we ha- not only do we have family month all this month, uh, but next month um, is actually when we have really our full kind of launch. And so we're continuing to invite people and get, get better and, and figure all the little, you know, sand off all the little rough edges and figure out all the little stuff. So uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for being here at the very beginning. And it's really, really cool to watch God do something really amazing uh, in our lives and through our church and watch something that has not existed before come to life. So thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, it it's awesome that we, we actually get to partner with God to create a place where our friends and our neighbors can experience his love. And so uh, at South Hills, uh, we like to say it's the perfect place for imperfect people because there are no perfect people here. And uh, we're, we're all just a mess, just like everybody else. And, uh, and so uh, if that, you know, you feel like you kind of fit into that category, you came to the right place. And so uh, we, want, we want you to know, no matter what your background, no matter what your history, no matter what your spiritual journey has been like, uh, whether church is your thing or not, uh, you belong here. We don't do fake or phony. And so um, we are so glad that you took time uh, to, join us, uh, to join us today. So one of my least favorite um, family experiences um, is family pictures. Um, I love the product afterwards. I love the pictures themselves. I love having the pictures of us as a family, my kids and all that. But everything involved in like the buildup is a pain in the butt. And uh, it, it's super stressful. And if you have kids, it's even worse. Uh, I don't know if, if you've experienced this, but most of the time, the pictures that we end up hanging on our wall... They, they don't tell the story of what that experience was like, right? Because the pictures, everybody's smiling and, you know, it's like photo finish. So there's kind of a glow and there's this beautiful aura and we're all happy and everything's perfect and everything was awesome. But of course it wasn't during the photo shoot because two seconds before that, it was like complete chaos, right? Kids going crazy, parents making threats, babies crying. There's lots of bribing and making noises and baby talk involved. And that's just to get grandpa's attention, you know? And like, there's a, like awkward, anybody know the, the website Awkward Family Photos? Anybody seen that? Okay, there's some great stuff on there. Um, I actually found one of these. This made me, this made me laugh. It's such a great uh, family photo. I don't know. How is it that we can collectively, you know, make so many bad decisions when it comes to posing for pictures? I don't know. But um, my, wife's, my, my wife's name is Hansi, and her grandparents were married for 72 years before they died. And uh, several years ago, the whole family got together to take pictures with Momo and Popo, and it was absolute chaos. And at that point, they'd been married for 70 years, and uh, so we actually had our kids uh, take a picture with them. Uh, and our little guy, Kelton, actually wasn't born yet. He's only five, but so he's not in this picture. And uh, leave it up there for just a second. But I, I remember while we were like all sort of standing around because, you know, they didn't go very far from home. So this was just like right in their front yard. And so uh, we're all standing around trying to organize the photos, you know. And, and I remember thinking like, they've been doing family pictures for 70 years. I think they had cameras 70 years ago. I don't know. Um, but, but, and, and, but it struck me, you know, things are far from perfect, but, but it just occurred to me in all of the chaos, just how beautiful it was because there were four generations of this crazy family uh, that were all there together. And, and it, it happened in this photo, um, Momo, uh, she is not looking at the camera and she's angry because she's trying to get Popo, she's telling, she's like yelling at Popo to look at the camera 
and he is trying to get Kai to smile. And so Jaron and Kaylee are the only ones looking at the camera. And, uh, and so we just decided, you know, this is as good as it gets. So we're taking the picture. Um, but, but that family, this experience, like it happened because Momo and Popo decided that it was possible to love somebody for a lifetime and to build a family that lasts. And, and honestly, no matter how antiquated or maybe even unachievable that experience or that notion sounds to you, I, I think inside, you know, if, we, if we're honest, like that's what most of us long for. And, and yet so many families get derailed. So many marriages that start out with two people that are so passionately in love that they, they make the crazy decision to join their lives together forever in marriage. And now, well, now they can only communicate through attorneys and and, and so the huge, there's a huge part of the heartbeat of our church is that we want to see families win. We want to see people and their relationships be healthy and strong. We want to be part of building strong, healthy marriages, strong and healthy relationships, strong and healthy families. So that's why we do Family Month, because it's just too important for us to ignore. It's not that we don't talk about relationships and family and stuff other times, but it's just us going, no, we're going to set aside a whole month to really focus on it. Now, obviously, there are all kinds of families and situations represented anytime you gather a group of people together. For some of us, maybe marriage or kids or maybe even a relationship is kind of more in the someday conversation at this point. Or, or maybe for you, your kids are grown and out of the house. And, and, and for me, that just you know, kind of means that I think that you're sort of perfectly positioned to, to build into the next generation of families and kind of pass on the wisdom that you have. And I believe that, I believe with all of my heart, just kind of looking at you guys, you guys look like you got it all together. You know, your families are, look great and, and you are amazing, right? You're smart and loving and healthy, but no matter how great you are, no matter how amazing your family is, the truth is, is that we can all do better. Like we can all grow. We can all get healthier. We can all deal, be, become more self-aware and deal with the stuff that our families of origin kind of passed off to us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus and, and we are a church that kind of embraces everybody no matter where you're, you're at in your spiritual journey, we just want you to know like we're really glad you're here. You don't actually have to believe like us to belong here with us. In fact, as we dive into this, some of the really good stuff here in just a second, you don't have to be a Jesus follower to, to kind of grab onto some of the, the, the principles and the ideas and to take them and try them out and implement in your life and your relationships and you can just kind of take them and, and, and just see if your life and your family get better and stronger for it. And, and nobody would even know that it's stuff that you learned at church. Now, I, I don't know if you've, you've noticed or not, but um, just like those family pictures, life and family can be pretty complicated. We have uh, three boys and one girl in our family and our kids because we uh, our, our boys were really into Legos, and so we have more Legos than any one family should ever earn, should ever be allowed to own. Um, and so, any any Lego people in the house? Okay, yeah, there's you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, and it's embarrassing, honestly. We have so many just giant drawers, just overflowing with pieces and parts and blocks and instruction books. And and, and uh, a couple weeks ago, I was playing with uh, with our two youngest sons, Kai and Kelton, and and. I honestly am not much of a builder. Um, they're better than me most of the time at this point. And, and, and the larger Lego sets, when they're brand new, they're hard enough when you have the exact pieces you need along with step-by-step -step instructions with pictures. I mean, those are my kind of instruction manuals on how to do it. But on this day, they were just kind of, they were just winging it. They were just building random stuff out of the pile. And when we build together like that, it's my job 
to, to be more of the finder. Like I find the pieces, they describe the piece they're looking for. Okay, I need this, dad, it needs to have this, needs to be this tall and have this many little bumps on it. And then I go and dig through this sea, giant sea of overwhelming pieces and finally I get frustrated and just dump it all out, which is always a mistake. Uh, but that's what I did on that day. And, and, and so, you know, Kai's like, I need one that's like six piece by two. And it's just, you know, this tall. I'm like, dude, that piece doesn't exist. I'm digging through, it was just overwhelming. And, and, and as I was doing it, it just kind of occurred to me, like, that's kind of a picture of what it can feel like sometimes trying to build our relationships and our families, because it's hard enough when we've been given the pieces and the tools, right? When we're, when we're given healthy pictures from our parents and grandparents of, about how to create a family and how to build a life. But for many of us, myself included, sometimes like building a marriage or building a family or building a relationship kind of feels like somebody just sort of dumped a giant pile of random Lego pieces or a giant pile of life pieces, just sort of dumped them in our lap and we got to figure out how it all goes together. We got to take those pieces and build something beautiful, something functional. And you have all these pieces, right? Whether it's, it's your spouse or the, the person you're in a relationship with or the job and kids and sports and school and recitals and dishes and COVID and practices and pets and vacations and COVID and homework and assignments and carpools and masks and COVID and laundry and church and teams and budget and COVID and the masks and the house and the lawn and the bills and the gym and the family and COVID and dinners and re- reunions and graduations and grandparents and COVID and 401k plans and cars and insurance and masks and COVID. COVID and curfews in college and Christmas gifts. By the way, Christmas is only 75 days away. It's time to put up the tree. That's what I'm talking about. And it's, and it's just a lot, right? And sometimes it feels like we're supposed to try to figure all that out with no pictures, no instructions, no help. And so what do we do? We just default to what we know. And for most of us, what we know is what our families gave us, right? We, we tend to do what we're used to, even if what we're used to is unhealthy sometimes. Because that's the way our brains work, right? They, our brains want to do and want to experience what's familiar. Familiar makes us feel safe and comfortable. The problem is that sometimes what feels safe is actually unhealthy or even destructive. And so what do you do when what feels most familiar to you and your family falls into one of those categories where it's unhealthy or maybe even destructive? Whether it's verbally cutting each other down, this is kind of like the hallmark of my family of origin. I have uh, four brothers and two sisters. And so uh, five boys, it's super hyper competitive. And so it's constant just you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you know, you know, just that kind of stuff, constantly cutting each other down. It's the way we bond. It's the way we relate to one another. Uh, or whether it's in your family, you know, constantly being in debt, or maybe you stuff your feelings down and nobody shares anything like that. Or, or maybe it's the other extreme where you just have people that take out all of their feelings and emotions and aggression on each other in anger or maybe it's codependency or demanding your own way, or in your family, maybe it's cowering to the, the, the kind of unpredictable moods of just one person and everybody kind of walks on eggshells around that person, or, or, or maybe prioritizing accomplishment over actually connecting as a family, or whatever the dysfunctional thing is in the family that you came from, right? Because we all have that baggage that we carry with us. So what do you do when the patterns that come most naturally to you, most comfortably to you, are also 
Well, maybe a little bit toxic or unhealthy, or maybe a lot toxic and unhealthy. Now, if, if that's you, if you sort of fall into one of those categories or that umbrella kind of covers you, the truth is you're not alone. And, and it's actually more of us than it's not. But it's not just us. It's actually a human problem that's always existed. And so about 3,500 years ago, God delivered the nation of Israel from slavery out of the nation of Egypt. They had been, they had been enslaved in Egypt for generations. And, and finally, their cry came up. Uh, God answers their cry, sends the uh, deliverer, his name is Moses, you may have heard of him. He comes and, and leads the nation of Israel to freedom out of Egypt. But even though they were no longer slaves, the Israelites suffered from the effects of that slavery and the oppression that they had for generations. So they had lived in Egypt so long that they had picked up not only some of the customs from Egypt, but habits and attitudes and thought patterns uh, of being oppressed, of people that were oppressed Patterns that were sabotaging who they were and who they were meant to be and who God had created them to be and, and, and kept kind of short-circuiting not only their relationships with one another, but their relationship with God. God's best for them, right? The life and the relationships and the families that they were created to have and enjoy, it wasn't what they were experiencing and it had nothing to do with God. It had everything to do with the default that they had developed living in the nation of Egypt was unhealthy and destructive. So what does God do? So God decides to reset everything. So he invites Moses up on a mountain. He gives them a basic set of guidelines. We know them as the Ten Commandments, a basic set of values and rules for what it meant to be part of his healthy family. So we're going to read some of those together, and, and then we're going to try to unpack a little bit of what this means for you and me. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, which is in the Old Testament, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's the fifth book in the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you have a Bible you want to turn there, if you have the Bible app, you can flip there, otherwise they'll all be on the screens behind me. Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning with verse 7, says this, it says, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. You must not misuse the name of the Lord. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Now, some of these might seem kind of weird to you, but it's always amazing to me that these, that these are controversial. Don't kill people. It's so controversial. Don't steal stuff. So controversial. How about when that guy comes home from work, his stuff and his wife is still his and not yours. You didn't take him while he was at work. Oh, that's so controversial, right? But why did God do this? Why did God lay out these rules for them? Because the truth is we all need parameters. So for them, Coming out of the nation of Egypt, there were no parameters and no rules. Now, the parameters, the rules, they weren't the point, right? But they, they, they begin to point them in the right direction. And it's the, it's the same thing for you and I, right? It is that we need rules, we need parameters. The parameters aren't the point, but they point us towards something better, something healthier. My five-year-old Kelton is awesome, but he would be happy to eat nothing but ice cream and gummy worms, and that's his default, in fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, he got in trouble because he bought popsicles from a random person that we didn't know and he didn't know. He's like, I think he lives over there. I was like, what? Um, and so he comes home like he had just had dessert and then he went out 
And this kid was having a popsicle and he said, can I have one of those? The kid said, I'll sell one to you. And this is how prepared my five-year-old, he had found money in the park two days before. Did he bring it home? No, he buried it. So he said, I'll be right back. And he went and dug up his money in the park and went and bought popsicles from a random kid, right? Like that, that's his default. So we obviously have rules around our house about junk food and all that kind, of, that kind of stuff, but the rules aren't the point, right? Him learning to be healthy and kind of take care of himself and not buy random food from strangers, you know, that, that's kind of the point. So the 10 things that God lists out, they were significant, but they, they, they weren't random or arbitrary. In fact, they were specific guidelines designed to point these particular people in a very different direction than the one in which they were currently headed. They were designed to start them on a path away from really the unhealthy impulses that they were living with and living under as a result of all the generations they had spent enslaved in Egypt. For example, the ancient Egyptians, they worshiped many gods who they believed didn't care at all about you and who you needed to appease in order to avoid suffering. And God was like, no, 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 no. That, that's, that, that's not my heart for you. I love you. you. You don't have to do that. Like, I love you. You have value because I created you. In Egypt, there was no Sabbath, especially for slaves. You worked every single day of the week because you were only worth whatever you could produce. And God was saying, no, don't do that. Your value isn't what you produce. You have value because I love you and you were created with purpose. In the ancient Egyptian culture, you could take what you wanted from whoever you wanted, who was less powerful or cultured or educated, to you, educated than you, as long as you were strong enough to do so. And this was God going, don't, that's, that's not who I created you to be. That, that, that's not how you treat other people. That's not how you treat other human beings that I've created, that are created in my image. We're not going, we're gonna be people who don't steal from anybody. And on down the line it went with all of the parameters God laid out. They were specifically dealing with some sort of behavior pattern that existed for those people. The rules weren't the point. He was pointing them toward a different kind of life, a different kind of relating to one another. And it's the same for you and I. It's the same for us and our relationships and our family. For us to be who God created us to be, for many of us, we have to learn to lean in the opposite direction of the unhealthy instincts that we've inherited. For the things that come most naturally to us, the ways in which we just sort of, the patterns of behavior that we just sort of find ourselves in without even thinking about it. For us to be who, we were, who God created us to be, we have to learn to lean in the opposite direction of those instincts, which is a lot easier said than done, right? Because we, we have all kinds of ways of letting ourselves off the hook, right? Like we, we, we have this anger problem. Well, this is just the way I am. Yeah, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't have to be just the way that you are. Like that's not a life sentence. You're not stuck in that. Well, they knew what I was like when, you know, when they married me, right? But you're driving them and everyone else away. Or my mom didn't, or my dad wasn't. And, and, but here's the deal, and, and you know this, you don't have to come from a healthy family to actually create a healthy family. You don't have to have been handed something that was really beautiful and healthy and vibrant in order for you to create that in your own relationships. 
in your own family. You actually get to choose. You can write a different story with your life and with your family. You don't have to stay stuck. You don't have to repeat the past. You're not doomed. You can actually change the trajectory of your family's history. But you actually have to know what you're aiming at. Because if you don't know where you're trying to go, you won't ever have any idea if you're ever getting closer to, to getting there. See, because we, we always need something to run towards as much as we need something to run away from. It, it's so much easier to say, don't do that. Well, what should I do? I have no idea, right? But we need something to run towards, not just to run away from. You, you need to have a clear picture of what you're for, not just what you're against. And if you're a follower of Jesus, becoming like him is our actual goal, right? Not just about, not just to go into heaven when we die, but becoming like Jesus in the way that we live our life here and now. So, okay, check this out. In Deuteronomy chapter five, God gives the 10 commandments, which we just read, and they're his starting point with the people of Israel, but almost immediately, he starts pointing them to something bigger. In the very next chapter, it says this in Deuteronomy six, Beginning with verse five, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. If those words sound familiar, if you've been in church, they're because Jesus said them multiple times. Jesus quoted this exact scripture multiple times. When he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? This is the commandment he quoted. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. See, this was never, ever, ever just about behavior modification. That, that's where God started. He's going to stop killing each other. Let, let's start there. But right away, he, he begins to move the conversation in a different, different direction. Because it wasn't just trying to get people to straighten up and do the right thing, right? God, God isn't some sort of cosmic heavenly drill sergeant. It, it was always about love. Because notice, just the very next chapter, it goes from don't do this, do this, don't do this, stop doing that, stop killing, stop this. And now the conversation is all about love. Love God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. Let these things get into your soul. Let them be a part, impress them on your heart, right? Have these conversations. Let this be the conversation that you're having with your kids when you sit at home and when you leave the house, when you lie down and when you get up. It was about their heart. It was about who they were at their core. It was about who they were becoming. See, that's the incredible thing about God is that he perfectly blends boundaries and grace for us. He perfectly blends love and discipline because there's a balance, right? And if you have kids, you, you probably know this or even if you are thinking about this in terms of your parents, you may have experienced this, that relationship without rules always leads to selfishness and self-indulgent. Kids that are completely selfish and self-indulgent, and you've maybe met those kids or met those families, and everybody, you know, those kids are the kids that sort of drive everybody crazy. But the opposite is true as well, that rules without relationship just leads to rejection of both the rules and the relationship. Love and life actually require both. So God was going, look, here are some of the rules but now go live in my love. What? He's going, it's both. 
to your heart and faith and the core of who you are. That's what matters. But you can't separate that stuff. You can't separate who you are from what you do. Now, if you go back and if you read the Ten Commandments in their full context, like God gives a commandment and then he gives some context. Like he, talk, he says some other stuff around it, right? And many of them, God was like, don't do this. But he's also like, do this thing over here instead. Why was he doing that? Because he was teaching them. He was leading them toward a different kind of life by establishing some new, some new patterns for them to, to walk in, to live out. Because it, it, it takes a habit to actually break a habit. I can pray every day that I won't be selfish or greedy, but until I actually start acting unselfishly and generously, nothing's gonna change. I just, God, just please help me not love money and be greedy. And God's like, okay, give some of it away. No. I can be working on losing weight, whatever that means. Have you ever known anybody that's worked, like they have a problem, like, what are you doing? I'm working on it. What does that mean? It means they're thinking about it. I think about it all the time. But, but if all I do is eat tacos and ice cream, it ain't gonna happen. It doesn't matter if I try harder, if I'm more committed, right? If I don't actually set a new direction and slowly and consistently move that way, we're just gonna stay stuck in our old patterns and our old habits. James, the brother of Jesus, he said it this way in the New Testament, in James chapter two, verse 26, he says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also is faith that it's dead without good works, that it's, you have to have both. Like, like you just can't be all good intentions and I believe and I love and it's just all on the inside and it's between me and the other person or it's between me and God. And, and James is going, yeah, but without there actually being tangible evidence that what's happening on the inside is finding its way out through the way that you live, that it's just, it's just a dead body without breath. You, know, you can talk about love and faith in God, but if, you never act, if it never actually impacts your life, it's, it's not real, it's empty. You can talk about family and love and relationships and what you want your marriage to be like, what you want your relationships to be like, what you want your kids to be like, but if you never address your patterns, if you never address your dysfunction, if there's never any change or progression in your life, it's all just talk, it's empty, it's dead. Now, I, I, I wanted to end this way because I, I think there are some practical things in the story that, of God and the commandments that we can actually implement in our families, especially if you're a parent. If you're not a parent, that's okay. You can, you can implement these in your own life and, and the way that you are parenting yourself. Uh, or you can kind of tuck them away you can pass them on, whatever. But I, I think that there's some really good stuff that, I, that, that we can sort of grab onto um, in the conversation that God is having with the nation of Israel. Number one is just be willing to say no. Say yes as much as you can, but don't, don't be afraid to say no. If you go back and read the 10 commandments, God wasn't afraid to say no. In fact, eight of the 10 commandments are basically him going, no, don't do that. Nope, don't do that either. Nope, how about no? Um, God, he, wasn't, he wasn't afraid. There, there's do's and don'ts. It, it, and here's the thing. 
if, if, and you may have experienced this as an adult, right? If you don't, as a parent, tell, learn to tell your kids no now, they're gonna really struggle to be able to tell themselves no later. Yeah, and part of growing into maturity is us being able to tell ourselves no. Because in our culture, you know, in our culture, there, once you reach adult, adulthood and you got a little bit of money coming in, there's almost no one in your life who can tell you no, right? We have some parameters around things you can't do and crime and all that stuff, but there's nobody in your life that'll say, hey, that's a terrible idea, don't do that. No, you can't. No, if you, they, they might say that's a terrible idea and you say, screw you, I'm still gonna do it, right? You have the freedom. And so maturity is being able to know what's good and healthy and be able to tell yourself no. And if we don't get to the point as parents where we're willing to say no, our kids will struggle later. This one's actually kind of hard for me, not because I'm a big softy, although I am kind of a big softy um, as I've gotten older as a dad, um, but, but part of it's just the way I'm wired. So my wife, um, she is, she lives her life. Uh, her personality is, is she lives her life like life has a giant, like a, a giant yellow traffic light. Like it's caution ahead, like slow down, take it easy. You might need to stop. You don't know if this is the right way. And for me, my life is the green. Like I have a green light everywhere I go. I just it's full speed ahead, boom, go. Have you ever been stuck on Eagle Road and then you like, your lane's not going anywhere and the other lane's going and then you move over there and then that lane stops and these people go. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Um, every time, no matter what. But for me, as, as uh, in, in my life, like, I'm sorry, tech people, I slammed my mic. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be mad. I could just see them, like, I could feel their eyes through the spotlight. Idiot. But I, I, my personality is like life is a green light. And so I tend to parent that way. Like, yeah, that sounds good to you. Let's do it. Green light. Let's go. So it's great that, we actually, that I actually have a life partner that's like, hey, why don't we pump the brakes on that one a little bit? Be willing to tell them no. Number one, number two, show them how. That's just this idea that it starts with you, right? If it, if it isn't in you, it's not going to be in them. Right? If it's not real enough to you for you to live it, it's not going to be a part of who they are. Right? See, before God tells the people, that, you know, he, he teaches the people the commandments to their children, right? He says, before he tells them to do that, he says, these things should be on your heart. Right? This should be a part of who you are. Not, not go teach it to your kids. No, no, no. He's like, love God with all your heart, your soul, and strength. This should be on your hearts. And then... And then once it is, then you can sit down and begin to talk with your kids. You're going to teach them. You love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That, that pretty much encompasses most of who you are. So you're the model. You set the pace. You're the one. Ready or not. Number three, give them handles. Give, give your kids handles to grab onto. See, God says, talk about this stuff with your kids and press it upon them. Talk about it when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you lie down and when you get up, right? What is he saying to them? He's saying that, that you, you need to be the one to help them process life, right? You, you need to help them like, be able to process what life is like and learn what's healthy. So our, our oldest son's 19. He's in his third or fourth semester um, at, at, at college and he is living his best life. 
Um, but one of the things I love is that he constantly, anytime something big happens in his life, he calls home and processes it with his mom and dad. Anytime something's going on with a girl, he calls us up. Anytime something's going on with his roommates, he calls us up. Anytime something's going on with work, he calls us up. And it's not that he can't handle it. He's just processing it out loud. There was a time in our culture that kids needed parents for information. That time doesn't exist anymore. Our kids don't need us for information. They're, they're information overload constantly. But they do need us they do need us for interpretation, right? They do need us to be the filter for that information of what's real and what's healthy and what's good, right? They, they do need us for wisdom and understanding everything that's being thrown at them, right? To help them sift through an infinite number of facts and actually grab onto the truth and internalize that. That's, that's what they need us as parents to do for them. So you gotta, you gotta be able to give them some handles to grab onto. And then finally, be willing to let them fail. Let them make mistakes. Let them explore. Encourage them to lean into tough questions about God and faith and life. Refuse to, be, refuse to give them easy answers. If you don't know them, if that, that question kind of eats at you, man, be willing to admit that. Reward them when they do right and when they take responsibility for what they've done wrong. Because they're going to fail. Make it safe for them to do so. It, it, it's, it's in the failing that we find our voice, right? It's in the failing that we learn to trust God for ourselves. It's in the failing, right? When you read the story of God and his people, he never demanded perfection from them ever. No matter how stringent the rules and the guidelines and the parameters that he laid down for them was, he never demanded perfection for them. He let them try and fail and get off course. And then he'd lovingly help them course correct and try again. And through it all, they learned what it meant to follow him. And honestly, that's what God does with you. That's what he does with me. That's his heart for you and your marriage and your family, that you would trust him and that you would follow him, that you would be healthy and strong. And ultimately, that's why he sent his son, Jesus, so that Jesus could come and live and to show us what it looked like to live our life in relationship to our heavenly father, to reconnect with the one that created us, for us to be able to step into that relationship by faith and have God begin to work through us and change us from the inside out. And that's, that's God's heart for you and me, that we would step into that relationship with his son. And honestly, that's the starting point for all of us, no matter where you're at in your relationships, no matter where you're at in your marriage, where you're at in your family, no matter what, how your family's constructed or someday or it was the empty net, doesn't matter. Like God's heart for you is that you would begin to move towards health and the perfect place to start is with his son, Jesus. And, and no matter what the, the baggage has looked like for you, no matter what mistakes you may have made, no matter what your relationships look like, that God loves you, that he's for you, and that he's inviting you to step into a relationship and to allow you to, to, for you to allow him to love you and you begin to move, live your life from the place where you love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the way that 
Um, you, even in the midst of the worst of our humanity, God, looking down at your people who stealing from one another was rampant, murdering from one another, God, just taking advantage of people, just no restraint. And God, you just began to lovingly move them from that place towards health. And so, God, in our situations, in our families, God, we can look at what we were handed from our families of origin. Some of us have more tools than others. Some of us, God, have some great experiences. Some of us have not so great experiences. But the beautiful part is no matter where we're at, God, that you love us, that you meet us there, and you begin to lovingly draw us into relationship with you so that, God, we can begin to impress your love, God, your parameters, God, your life on our hearts. And Lord, that when we love, we learn to love you with all of our heart and soul and strength. God, that it changes everything about us. Lord, I just pray that you would touch every family that's here, every marriage, every relationship. God, that you would pour out your love on them. Every mom and dad, God, every child, God, every teenager, Jesus, that you would just bring hope and life. God, that you would infuse these families with your love and grace. To just be that oil that's between the relationships, God, that smooths out that friction. God, thank you for loving us enough Jesus, for you coming. May we be people this week, God, to, who we don't just have intentions, we don't just have words. Lord, we begin to chart new paths. We get unstuck, begin to make some changes and move forward with the people we love most. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.